God, your word says in uh, Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. God, I don't know um, how every person has come into this place, what they're experiencing right now, what they're feeling, what's going on in their life. I'm not sure what their relationship with you is like, if they follow you, if they don't, if they've been following you for a long time, or God, maybe they're just in a, a season in their faith right now where things seem dry and you seem silent. My prayer for everybody is that just as a result of being together, as a result of opening your scriptures and reading and learning from what you have to say to us, this is a result of just being able to sing these incredible gospel truths about who you are. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to each and every person in their heart in such a way, Lord, that they leave here just thirsting for more of that. And as they go to work this week and as they commute and as they deal with their families and all these other things, Lord, that you would just do something in your soul, in their soul, that causes them to thirst for you. And so, Lord, would you meet us right now? Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? Would you teach us in very specific ways this morning? Would you encourage us in very specific ways? ways this morning, only in a way that you can, because you know what's in each and every one of our hearts. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we're struggling with. So would you use your word to speak to that right now, I pray. Christ's name, amen. Um, Really excited for this morning. Uh, So as you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called King Jesus, and what we've been talking about in this sermon series ad nauseum, over and over and over and over again, over months now, it seems like, is just this idea that Jesus, he's our Lord, he's our creator, he's our king, and he is where our joy is found. I mean, we've been using that word joy a lot here, and the reason for that is because we just we want to impress on your heart. We just want to pound it into each and every one of us that our joy is found in Christ and nowhere else. That's, and we're going to always talk about that. Our vision statement as a church is we want to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. We really believe this. And so we want you, we want all of our neighbors to know that our joy that we all long for is found only in Jesus. And so... In this series, we've been trying to talk about uh, how sin, what it does is it causes us to look for joy in other places, to look for joy in the world. And it, sin kind of lies to us. It tells us that when we follow Jesus, when we follow God's commands, when we read the Bible, that it restricts us. It limits us. It doesn't let us do all the things that we want to do, therefore, It robs us of our joy, and Scripture just cries to us that that is just a lie. 
that we are created to bear the image of God, to live our lives for his glory, and in doing that, that's where our soul finds its true rest. And so we've, over the last few weeks, just been trying to apply this very specifically to some different topics. So two weeks ago, we talked about our time. So how do we let Jesus be king over our time? Last week, we talked about our work and our vocation. How do we let Jesus be king of our vocation? And this morning, we're gonna talk about our family. What does it look like for Jesus to be king over my family relationships? Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. When I began to study this week for this particular sermon, I, I got really overwhelmed because this topic of family is, is huge. I, I was on my whiteboard just scribbling notes and thinking, man, I need to talk about marriage and parenting and divorce and sibling relationships and, and, and hurt and how we hurt each other as families and broken families and adoption. I was just like all over the place. So I thought for a second that I'd kind of bitten off more than I could really chew in, in one sermon. But I was praying about it, and the Lord just, he told me, hey, I need you to communicate uh, more from a 10,000-foot from a level. Because there's this high-level truth that we all need to understand this morning that specifically applies to any and every family situation that we might encounter, whether it's good or, or whether it's bad, and, and we need to talk about this this morning. So here it is. I'm just going to give it to you now, and then we'll, we'll chat about it. So, so here's the truth I want us to just get. For Jesus to be king over my family and my family relationships, Jesus must be more precious to me than my family. So you, you heard that right. It, in order for Jesus to be king of your marriage, Jesus must be more precious to you than your, your marriage. Uh, if Jesus is gonna be king over your, your parenting and how you parent your kids, then Jesus must be more precious to you than your children, and, and on and on and on. So, so we're, gonna, we're gonna dig into that together and how does that work. But let me just say a few words before we begin. There, you know, there's nothing that is uh, as emotional there's nothing that really quite has an emotional grip on our hearts like our family. For some of us, our family is, is everything to us. It's, it's, we've had a great family and we find so much joy. It gives us life to be with our family. Others of us are on the opposite end of that where family has been so hurtful and painful and we've been sinned against in huge ways by our families and and there might be many of us who are just in between those extremes experiencing some of the good and, and some of the bad. So I know I'm wading into really heavy emotional territory when we begin to talk about family. And then I know what I might do this morning is I might poke some emotions inside of us. So I might poke some anger inside of us that we have towards family. Or I might poke some areas inside of us of sin that needs to be repented of. Maybe I might be poking some areas of, of apathy, or, or maybe I'm going after areas of just great joy in your life, but, but we're gonna go there because Jesus wants to be Lord of your entire life. That also includes your family, and that's for your joy, so, so let's go. Let's, let's dig into that. So to start, here's what I wanna do. I want us to do um, just a, a, a quick Bible study together. Because I want to do just this quick survey across 
the scripture and ask the question, what are God's commands when it comes to how we ought to love our families, how we relate to our family relationships? So I'm gonna try to do this pretty quick. This might be a little bit of a fire hose, so don't worry about taking notes. All of the scriptures will be on the screen. And I also just wanted to say, um, you know, if you go to our website, you can listen to all of our sermons. They're all on there. And if you click on a particular sermon, there's a link there that says download transcript. We always put our sermon notes up there. So whatever I'm reading off here, you can read online as well. So if you wanna go back and grab these notes, you can do that. All right, but I wanna just do a survey. What does the Bible have to say about our family and how we ought to love? So let's start with marriage. All right, the first thing that we see in scripture about marriage is Genesis chapter two, Verse 24, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, so the first command in all of scripture about family that we get is that eventually you have to move out of mom and dad's house. But what we actually see here is that God designed marriage to be this inseparable union between a man and a woman, they're, they're gonna become one flesh. So marriage is this covenant, it's a promise, right? I'll love you even when you don't love me back because we are now one flesh. And so God commands uh, husbands uh, to live this out and wives to live this out in very specific ways, right? So, so for example, look at Ephesians chapter five. Uh, starting verse 25, few verses here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And so Paul here, it says, husbands, here's how you, you love your wife. You, you give everything for her. It doesn't matter what you want. What matters is what she wants. And you die, you give your life to cherish her and honor her and love her and see her flourish in life, right? Like wives, don't you want your husbands to cherish you like that? Uh, that that's, that's scripture. And if you notice what it says here, that the command, it doesn't come with the caveat that the wife needs to reciprocate. God wants you to love your wife like Jesus loves you, unconditionally. Mercies are new every morning, never wavers. Now look what he says to wives, Ephesians 5, 22, 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, there's a word our culture has a problem with, uh, submit, and maybe even a concept that our culture doesn't like. Now, listen, there's no problem with what the scripture is saying here. The problem is how this passage has been abused by men over the years who wanna demand submission from their wife and then they spit upon the exact commands that come in the same chapter about how they're to give their lives for their own wife. But submission here, it's a form, just like the husband, of laying down your own life for your husband, just as husbands are commanded to lay down their own lives. And again, this command doesn't come with a caveat that the husband needs to reciprocate. 
But see, God's view of marriage here is one where the the husband and wife, they both lay their own lives down for the other. They're committed to each other for life, no matter the circumstances, right? So this is why God says it in Malachi 2, 16, that he hates divorce because his design of marriage is one of faithful commitment to one another, right? So, okay, those are God's commands with marriage. What about parenting, Deuteronomy 6 says to us that parents are to raise their children knowing what God has done to save them. We see this theme in scripture, the main command to parents, raise your kids knowing the Lord. Ephesians chapter six, verse four, says fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 23, 13 commands us not to withhold discipline from our children. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 commands us to provide for our children's needs. In fact, 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, if we don't provide for the emotional and the physical and the spiritual needs of our kids, we're worse than someone who rejects Jesus. And so God commands parents, provide for your kids, raise them up in the Lord. And that takes time and intentionality and presence. Now, what does the Bible have to say about children and how they should relate to their parents? Well, we obviously have the fifth commandment, Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that your Lord God has given you. Proverbs 6.20 says, my son, keep your father's command and don't reject your mother's teaching. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. We also see even a command here for children to take care of their aging parents in 1 Timothy 5 verse 4. It says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So even children are commanded to lay down their desires, submit to their parents, and later in life, lay down your desires to take care of your parents. Almost done with our survey here. When it it comes to sibling relationships, Extended family, we don't really have many commands. First Timothy 5.8 actually extends that command for parents to take care of the needs of their children. It extends it to other family members as well. So we need to take care of each other. But I think the most powerful thing is throughout the entire Bible, uh, the scripture uses the sibling relationship, brother and sister, as an illustration of the type of relationship that we should have with one another in the church. Right, so, so 1 John 3.16, this is how we come to know love. He, Christ, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so if we just take this quick survey, I know I just blew through that, about all of these commands about family relationships, there's one similarity that we can conclude from, from all of them. And it's this, that God wants us, look at, look at this, to selflessly love our family. God wants us to put our family before ourselves. It's very clear in all of the scriptures that we have. He wants us to lay down our lives so our family members will thrive. And think about this, it's just God 
designed the emotional bond that, that we have with our family members in such a way that it would serve as the primary illustration that he uses when he talks about his love and his bond with us. Right, think about this. God sees us as his children, calls us his children, and calls himself our father. Hebrews 2 calls Jesus our brother who came and laid down his life to provide for our greatest need, which is our salvation. Uh, Ephesians 5 calls the church, us, the bride of Christ, and Christ lays down his life to nourish and cherish the bride. I love this. God says that when we trusted in Christ, when we came and followed him, that he adopted us into his family. We're now a part of his family, never to be removed. And he'll never forsake us, even when we don't reciprocate. Because family relationships, they're unbreakable bonds. So it's a big deal when God calls you his child. Because his vision for family in the scripture is, this is for life, nothing breaks this apart. It's exactly why for those of you who've experienced loss in your family, abuse in your family, any sort of brokenness, it's why it's so traumatizing. Because your family is where you should be the most safe, the most loved, the most provided for, the most cherished. It should be the most secure place you have. And when that breaks, it just, it does something to us that never leaves. All right, and so after seeing God's heart and God's commands when it comes to our family, I wanna ask, how do we submit all of this to Jesus as our king? So what does that, what does that mean? Because, because family's not easy. Following these commands, it, it's not automatic. All right, we struggle. That emotional bond that we have with our, our family members, man, that, that's hard to navigate sometimes when emotions flare. And so how do we do this? And so to get the answer, I want us to look at what is probably one of the most head-turning, provocative sayings that Jesus ever said. And we're gonna read it, and you're probably gonna be like, wait, really? Jesus said that? But that's our main text this morning. So we're gonna do Matthew 10, verses 34 and 39. Jesus is gonna help us out here. is what Jesus says. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You might be thinking, all right, Alan, how are you going to apply that one? All right, let's try to wrap our heads around this for a second. All right, in this section of Matthew, Jesus is in the middle of a teaching with his disciples, okay? 
And what he's teaching them about in this section is that because they belong to Jesus and they are part of Jesus's kingdom, they are going to face opposition and persecution in the world for their faith. This is what Jesus is teaching them on. And so in this particular section, Jesus is quoting from Micah chapter seven, verse six in the Old Testament. It's a prophecy that when the Messiah comes and announces the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus is doing, there's going to be persecution. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, they're at odds with one another. And as we, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we belong to the kingdom of God. We've been adopted into God's family. We are citizens of his kingdom. And so we have been called now to infiltrate the world, proclaim the good news of the gospel and make disciples. That's our calling. And the world is not going to like that kind of infiltration. And Jesus is saying that for those who have given their lives to Jesus, they will experience this type of persecution even for some in their own household. That some people will say, if you follow Jesus, you're no longer part of this family. And Jesus is saying, you stick with me. So here's, here's why I want us to see the, the passage today. Because it's unmistakable that Jesus wants to be honored, prioritized, worshiped, loved, cherished more than anything else in our lives. And that does include our family. In fact, he commands it. So on one side of scripture, we have all of these commands about this radical commitment to our family. God wants us to lay down our lives for our family, to be fiercely committed to them. But on the other side, scripture says that we must not love our family more than we love him. And so here's the point. In order, it's a really important phrase right there, in order to love my family as God has commanded me to in what we just went through in scripture, I must love Jesus more than my family. Get this, husbands, you cannot love your wife in the way that God has commanded you to unless you love Jesus more than your wife. And same wives to husbands. You know, parents, you cannot love your children in the way that God has commanded you to unless you love Jesus more than your children. The key to loving our family in the way they need to be loved is an even deeper, more highly prioritized love for Jesus. So I wanna show you how this works. All right, let's think about this for a second. Let's think about our relationship with Jesus because the more we are in active relationship with Jesus vertically, it's going to have a profound impact on our relationships horizontally with our family. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm actually gonna give you three ways that our vertical relationship with Jesus impacts our horizontal relationships with others like our family. So here's the first one. All right, let's think about this for a second. How did our relationship with Jesus start? Who started it? Romans chapter five, verse eight says, God shows his love for us 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we learn here that God loved us before we loved him. And our relationship with God began by him pursuing us, not us pursuing him. We were sinners, opposed to God, right? Deserving of his judgment, not his love. God would have been perfectly just to just deal with us in our sin and punish us for our sin. But God loved us first and did something to redeem us from our sin. He sends his son, Jesus, to go to the cross in our place so our sin would no longer separate us from God. Right? That's how our relationship with God and with Jesus, it, it began. He loved us, he pursued us. And so think about this. When we think about that vertical reality that God reached down first, we didn't reach up first. When we think about that, it's gonna humble us in a really good way. It's gonna give us a, a, a healthy self-awareness that the gospel, when we think about it rightly, it, it shouldn't cause us to think too highly of ourselves, right? Well, I believe in the gospel. I believe that someone had to die for my sins. No. And so here's the deal. Relationships break down when we think of ourselves as better than others. And so Listen, that the first way that our relationship with Jesus impacts our relationships with others is it helps us not to see us better than others. It, it humbles us because Jesus came and he saved and rescued us from our own sin that we couldn't save ourselves out of. So it's the first way, it humbles us. All right? Number two, let's think about this. How is our relationship with Jesus sustained? How do we stay in right relationship with God and not fail out of it? Romans chapter eight, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, including your sin. And all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is our relationship with Jesus that secure? Is it because of us? Are we the consistent ones? Is it because we're so good to get out of bed and read our Bibles every morning without fail and that's why we can never be separated from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. Paul answers the question earlier in Romans 8 when he says, it is the graciousness of God that keeps us in the faith. It's the fact that Jesus who died for you and was risen for you is now interceding constantly on your behalf to God the Father. It is God's grace, his graciousness to us that our relationship with Jesus is secure, never to be taken away from us. His mercies are new every single morning. He continues to forgive and to love us unconditionally. And here's the deal. The more we are aware of this graciousness from God vertically, we will become more gracious and long-suffering and merciful in our relationships horizontally. And so that's the second way that our relationship with Jesus impacts our relationships with others. It, it makes us more gracious. And here's number three. 
How does our relationship with Christ, let's think about this, how does our relationship with Christ impact our daily lives? So earlier in Matthew 10, verse 16, a few verses before what we read, Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. John chapter 17, verse 18 says, as you sent me into the world, this is Jesus praying to God. God, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, this gets back to what we read in Matthew 10, where Jesus wants us to be more committed to him than the most precious things in our life, like our family. Because as followers of Jesus, we are not citizens of, the king, of this world, the kingdom of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And Jesus wants the kingdom of God to infiltrate the kingdom of this world. And so our vertical relationship with God impacts our horizontal relationships because God is sending us, he's sending us to influence people horizontally by pointing them vertically to God, right? How does our relationship with Christ impact us on a daily basis? God is sending us to impact those horizontally, to point them vertically back to God. It's the kingdom of God infiltrating the kingdom of this world, and this is what God has called you to do in your family. And it's what your family most needs. It's the most loving thing that you can do for your family. It's to point them to the kingdom of God. And so the third way that our relationship with Jesus impacts our relationship with others is it gives us the purpose of pointing others back to Christ, to his kingdom. And so just quick recap. How does our relationship with Jesus impact our relationship with others? It humbles us because he saved us. It causes us to be gracious because he is gracious to us every single day. And it gives us the purpose of pointing others to the kingdom of Christ. All right, so how does this play out in our family relationships? Um, during my first year of marriage, I was in my young 20s. I was pastoring a pretty large college ministry out of McLean Bible Church at the time. And I loved my job. And I loved the ministry that I was in. I loved being a pastor. In fact, I loved it more than I loved my wife. And I would say in that time of my life, I loved it more than I loved God. That's possible for pastors to do, by the way, to love what they do more than they love God. And that meant I was gone all the time. I was, I was mentally gone. I was physically gone all the time because I devoted all my time uh, to the ministry and not to my marriage. And so when Kim confronted me uh, on this, my wife, uh, you wanna know what I said? I said, we were a ministry family. And what that meant was I had to devote my time to the ministry and, and, and her cross to bear was my ministry schedule. Whose kingdom was I pointing my wife to? It's pretty manipulative. 
Not too long after that, we moved to Dallas for me to do some school, and, uh, and the Lord, he, he dealt with my heart while we were in Texas, brought me to repentance. I was ashamed of how I cheated on my wife with the ministry. And the fact that God still forgave me and pursued me, that humbled me. That began to soften my heart. That's when I first really began to understand the gospel. And God continued, his continued grace toward me, it made me more of a, a gracious person. And more importantly, look at this, God showed me that I was not concerned with pointing anyone to God's kingdom. I was concerned about pointing people, especially my wife, to my kingdom that they would conform to what I wanted to do. And so here was the key to my repentance. It wasn't learning how to communicate better in marriage. It wasn't getting out of ministry. The key was not falling in more love with my wife. The key was falling more in love with Jesus and his kingdom becoming the priority. It's so easy to manipulate our loved ones towards our own kingdom. You can't love your spouse in the way that scripture calls you to unless Jesus is first in your heart. And you wanna lead them to what Jesus has for them because that's where their joy is found. Let me say this, if you're single, Spend these years that you have now in your life cultivating a strong relationship with Jesus that no potential spouse would take priority over. It will lead to your joy, and if the Lord wills, it will lead to a great marriage in the future. If you let your desire for a spouse be stronger, a stronger impulse than your love for Jesus, you're setting yourself up for pain in the future. And parents, I mean, how, how easy is it to parent from frustration? Y'all should have seen what my daughter did yesterday in the driveway. Spilled a whole paint bucket over. It's so easy to parent from frustration. We get frustrated that our kids don't respond to our parenting. They constantly get in our way. They're constantly wanting our attention. And it's so easy to be ungracious and get agitated when our kids don't live according to our kingdom and its rules. Or how easy is it to, to give our kids every single opportunity that the world can offer them? We're anxious that they may not develop or we're anxious that they may not be able to thrive in life or be successful. We wanna give them every opportunity the world has for them. And you know what? That's not is what is best for your kids. They don't need every opportunity the world has. In the same way, we don't wanna point our kids to our own kingdom. Let's not point our kids to their own kingdom. We wanna point them to the kingdom of Christ. And yeah, that does mean discipline. And it does mean making decisions and limiting their options in such a way that's best for their soul, even if they don't like it. Your kids need you to love Jesus more than them because it will cultivate humility and graciousness and a resolve to raise your kids with a love for Christ and not a love for this world. If you've been uh, hurt by family, or you have bitterness in your heart towards some family, maybe there's some family members you're not speaking to, 
you know, the thing that is going to get your heart on a trajectory towards reconciliation and forgiveness and healing is a love for Jesus. Because if you need to be more gracious and willing to reconcile, he'll produce that in you as he shows you how gracious and long-suffering he is with you. If you've got a lot of hurt and pain because of how your family has sinned against you, you have a father in heaven who loves you with perfect consistency and will never fail you. Our families are gonna fail us. They're not perfectly consistent, but he is, and that constancy from God is a security that your heart needs to begin the process of healing. Now, one quick caveat. If what I'm talking about right now is typical family conflict, I am not talking about right now is abuse. And if you've been a victim of abuse in your family, yes, what is most important for your healing is letting Jesus rule your heart and cultivating a love for him. But my encouragement to you this morning is to process that trauma with a counselor or a pastor because every situation is unique and I am not about to throw down blanket applications to abuse situations. But here's the main point this morning. It's very simple, but I just want us to sit in this. I hope you take this away. That the most loving thing you can do for your family is fall more in love with Jesus. Cultivate a close relationship with Jesus. Prioritize him more than anything else in your life. He alone can change our hearts and your family needs you to have a heart that is submitted to Christ. I promise you that will turn any situation around when we submit everything to Christ. You know, I don't know who said this. My wife says this quote all the time, but the best thing you can give your family is your transformed and transforming self. Your transformed and transforming presence. So I don't know how you need to respond this morning. Uh, for some of us, this might need to be a time of repentance like I needed to do when I was in Texas. Uh, you haven't been pointing your family to the kingdom of Christ, but you've been demanding that they live according to your kingdom. And it's so easy to do that. And many times our family members are crying out to us, trying to help us to see this, and we're blind to it. That was what my wife experienced with me. And maybe this morning is a time for you to kind of recognize that and throw yourself into the arms of Christ and trust him for what he's really offering you, forgiveness, grace, transformation. I pray that the love of Jesus this morning would soften your heart and make you a more gracious, humble person and help you to see that today's the day that you can begin to change. It's time to change. Maybe for some of us, we just have a lot of hurt inside uh, from our family, stuff that has just stuck with us for, for so long and, and you just need to sit down with someone and work through that. And being gonna say, I don't know how to 
develop a love for Jesus in the midst of all of this just junk that I have in my heart from my family. Uh, Family is such an emotionally charged thing. It does stuff to us. And so you might just need to sit down with someone. And maybe today is the day that you say, yeah, I'm gonna do that. Because that's what's best for me and that's what's gonna be best for my other family members. And maybe some of us this morning just need to continue to ask God for help and to continue to transform us so that we would love our families well. I don't know where you are this morning, but what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna pray for you. Band's gonna come up and uh, they're just gonna play some music for us for a few minutes. Um, And I just want you to take a moment of silence. I just want you to ask, how do you need to respond to this morning? And as always, when our service is over, we're gonna have prayer ministers up front. So if you need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, please uh, come forward. Uh, We also have a prayer room. So if you need to to grab someone and go to the prayer room to to pray and talk, uh, just uh, feel free to do that. But let me pray now, and then I want us to take some time to respond. Father, I'm just uh, grateful for your graciousness towards us. I'm grateful, God, that in all of the ways that you have commanded us to love our family, that is how you love us, unconditionally. You don't waver. You don't get bitter and slam the door and walk out. You are not passive aggressive towards us. You don't manipulate us. You don't give us promises that you'll never keep. Your love for us is perfect. It's constant. It's secure. So God, if there's anyone in this room this morning and and the way they need to respond this morning is repentance, I pray that your love would draw them in. It's gonna be hard. But God, you're there to shepherd their heart, to forgive them of their sin, to restore them. God, would they trust you and repent? God, I pray for anyone here who's just dealing with hurt, trauma, or junk from their family. God, I just pray you would meet them right now and that you'd just do something in their spirit right now to remind them of your constant, consistent, never-failing presence. And would you let them know they have a church family they can run to to deal with this. But God, for all of us, no matter where we are, would you just lead us into a greater love of you, Lord? Help us to love you more than anything because that is where our joy is found. And God, that is how we lead others to joy too. So God, I just pray as we all silently reflect right now, Lord, you just meet us by your spirit very specifically where we need to be met. In Christ's name.